Thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that the, the word of God is, is powerful and effective and it's, a, it's alive because the spirit of God is the one that's working through and that makes the, the, the words, the spoken words, pierce hearts and, and divide uh, situations, divide our hearts and our souls in different ways, bringing your truth to bear and to bear much fruit, Lord, through us. And so we look to you and we pray for that to happen today, Lord. Help me. We look to the, the, the risen Jesus on the throne. We pray that he would, he, he would be seen and known in a deeper way, Lord. We want to see you again today. Come and help us, Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 So on, on the left here, there's a, a board that I've precariously balanced just to give you a bit of a, a visual reference. Some of you might not be able to see it if you're like on that side in the corner or that side. So that's a bit annoying, isn't it? Um, I would try and move it round a bit, but uh, it might all go horribly wrong. There'll be a serious accident. So I might just have to explain it as we go through. But this is really just a visual aid to help us think about the, the movement that has taken place in the, the, the sort of, if you like, the, the central aspects of the life of Jesus and the gospel. So at the bottom, there is a skull, a picture of a skull uh, and a couple of bones. And what do you think that represents? Death. So death and sin and Satan, bad things. So Jesus Christ came down, God incarnate came down, That's this is Christmas we're at, came down and lived as a man and entered into this and took this upon him. And then the movement then leads to the cross and the picture that's there on the left, which if you're at the front you can see is... The cross and the open tomb, the empty tomb. And so the empty tomb represents what? The resurrection. So we go from, from death and Christ experiencing death to resurrection, which is obviously almost the pinnacle, isn't it? I mean, you can't get better than resurrection. But then there's another moment, and you find this in Scripture, in the way that things are kind of penned in Scripture and the stories told. It, it then leads to a connection to the, this top picture, which is the figure of Jesus floating up or ascending. And so this is where we are today, Ascension Sunday. So we've gone from Christmas to a few weeks ago when we last met, wasn't it? Easter Sunday, and we celebrated baptisms. And then now we, ar we arrive, and the sort of time frames in Scripture is that after Jesus had, had been raised from the dead, he was around on earth for how long? 40 days. So 40 days, and then the movement continues around to this point of ascension where he goes up to the throne in heaven. That's what we're going to focus on mostly this morning. And then... It continues round in the circle, but not all the way back down again. If we were doing arrows, there wouldn't be an arrow to take it back to death, unless we were being clever and saying, well, the spirit comes into death and makes people alive. And it all goes round, an amazing wheel, bringing people into life. But we'll keep it simple. So from the ascended Christ in heaven, then on the right there, there's a picture of fire flame, which symbolizes the spirit being poured out and Pentecost Sunday is next week. So that's a bit of an advert for next week. So Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit, but it comes from this high 
exalted position of him ascending into heaven at the right hand of the Father. So that, that's the, the, the movement, if you like. But it's really important that we highlight the ascension because it's not something perhaps that we focus on. We're very familiar with the pouring out of the Spirit and, of course, with, with death and Jesus coming into the world and with Easter and the resurrection. But throughout Scripture... There's a, there's a really strong connection to all the, with all these things to the ascension and that actually being a, the, the pinnacle, the point that everything moves towards and then the activity and the action, the pouring out happens from there. So we're, is that clear enough? So bear that in mind or if you're down there or down there, imagine it in your head if you can't quite see that and you can come and have a look at the end. So we're going to read through the chunk of scripture in Acts 1, it will come up on the screen perhaps as well, but if you want to look in Bibles, Acts 1, 1 to 11 is where the story is told of Jesus going up. So this is Luke writing. Luke says this, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Pause there, because that's interesting why that's even noted there. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he'd chosen. So, so Luke there divided up his, his writings by the ascension. So his, his earlier book was the book of Luke. Easy ones today. So the book of Luke, so he's written it up to the point of the ascension. Then he's writing a different book, different communication um, about all that comes after it. So it's like a, di a, a division point. So in the apostles' minds, in the leaders at that time, mind, the, the scripture authors, there, there, was a, there was a point that everything was moving towards, the ascension. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So this is pre-ascension, the 40 days that you all got right. Well done that he was on earth teaching, speaking about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So again, the movement going around, he's talking about the, the, the Pentecost that was coming 10 days later, which is 50 days after uh, Easter, Resurrection Sunday. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he'd said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So that's the ascension. So going up in the air, that's how it reads, and they're all looking, and then he's hidden away. And as they're all staring at him, intently it says there, as he was going, two men dressed in white came and stood beside them. It's sort of, you can imagine, they're all like looking up, and then these two guys sneak up 
sort of there and there, probably standing there looking at them. And at some point, they say, Men of Galilee! They probably go, <laughs> Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. So there we are. That's the, that's the ascension. But what, what goes on there and where he ends up is amazing. And that's what we need to think about. What, what does the ascension mean? Because if Jesus has gone up, we know that he's taken a place of power and authority. He's got a great high position. So what does this power and authority that Jesus has mean for you and for me when we go to work or go back into our family situations or when we step out of this building and and all the stuff that is maybe crushing down on us comes back. The pain, the sickness, the stuff you've got to do, work tomorrow for some of you, well for all of you in some way, a couple of you might be lying in bed all day, but still, even if you're in bed, Stuff going on in the mind. It's all all hitting. What does this mean? Because it's good news. This is amazing, amazing news. So first of all, it means this. It means that there should be deep, deep humility that permeates our lives, your life, our life as a community because of the authority and power that Jesus has. Because it's so huge. It's so total and ultimate that we don't even get it. We can't imagine it. Uh, Over the last couple of days, I've been doing something that will stun you all into shock and boredom, unless you're unusual like me. I've spent two days going on till one in the morning on the Friday night in a hotel with hundreds of other people playing board games. (laughs) I was at a board games convention on Friday and Saturday. It's been one of the highlights of my year. And, uh, and I go, my brother goes, he's into it as well. He lives up, up in uh, Manchester. He's six years younger. And loads of other uh, men and women are there. And it's like, these are board games that t- can take 10 hours to play one game. Don't people think, what do you do, play Monopoly all day? No, not Monopoly. I mean, Monopoly's great. Th- this is like a real kind of geeky type of thing here. Um, and I'd love to play ball games with you all. If anyone's there saying, yeah, I like those sort of ball games, let me know. We can start a club. So I was there, and what happens at these events is that you play these games, and many of, many of them, are sh- some of them are short, but the big games that you need that kind of length to play, they take a long time to learn and a long time to play, and they often involve you as an individual having power and authority over a whole world or civilization. It's crazy. And so you have to learn how the world works. Okay, so imagine computer games where people get into them, there's a whole world, it's very, very detailed. Imagine that in an actual tangible form. The numbers of pieces and players, it's, it's very deep, very complex, and you're running economies and doing all kinds of stuff. But as you learn it, it's like this whole thing, it all clicks in and you can just see how it works. And you're basically running a world or civilization on a table in front of you. It's, it's crazy stuff. And, and I have ultimate power and authority over it all. I make decisions. I can take people out. I can put them in. I can change the money. I can leave stuff going on there that isn't any good and change it around. It's amazing. 
I love it. Love doing it. But that kind of power and authority that I genuinely have, the minute that I get up from the table to go to the loo, it's all gone. <laughs> and when I get back into our dirty S Max that needs a wash and drive off back down the M25, it's all gone. <laughs> and I get home and I discover I haven't really got that much power and authority. <laughs> Even the dog doesn't obey in our house because while I was away, he ate a brand new lemon cake that had been made for today, for people that are coming for dinner, and you realise, uh, the power and authority I've got is, is quite limited here. <laughs> Do you ever feel like that as a parent, if you're a parent? Yeah, as well. So, limited power and authority, but what Christ has is, is the true power and authority over civilization, overworld, over a unity, we, over a, a whole universe. What we saw a few weeks back, if you saw, watched, or caught up on the news with the coronation of King Charles, <clears throat> again there, images of power and authority and glory and riches and anointing and, and with, with someone that is being given a special status, but we know that in our nation it doesn't any longer equal total power and authority, does it, over everyone? It's, it's a kind of influence, or I think they, they call it soft power, don't they? So that if we, if we met Charles, we came into the room, there would probably be a respect, whatever your views are of the monarchy, but there's a kind of an influence that comes. But there's, there, there isn't actually power and authority to enforce whatever he wants to do when he wants to do it. It's limited. But if you take those two images, take, take my true total power and authority that I had over a world, translate that to the whole universe, then take all the imagery that we saw on the news related to Charles and the glory and the riches and put that also out and onto Jesus Christ. Still, it's not big enough. It, still, it doesn't even give us... The, the, the depth and the breadth of the power and the authority that he has. But it gives us maybe a, a little hint of it. Daniel 7, verse 13 to 14. I'll read you these couple of verses here. They might come up on the screen as well. Because um, this relates to this moment in time of ascension. Daniel, uh, the prophet, says this, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. No king or queen has that on earth. No board game player has that. It is everlasting. It will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. We sang it this morning, didn't we? The ancient days, and his kingdom shall not pass away. His kingdom shall not pass away. So this section in Daniel is pr probably talking about the ascension, not his return. Because they're very similar. He's going to return and there'll be clouds involved. But here, when you read it, here before, it's the son of man. So it's talking about Jesus there in a prophetic sense 
is going into approaching the Ancient of Days, led into the, into the presence of God and given power and authority and glory. And so total power, total authority, total glory. But yet Jesus reached this position through humility. So he, he went through this sequence of going down into death, onto the cross, resurrection, and then ascended. And we know that he didn't get it. He didn't just pull up a chair at the table like you would to play a board game. He wasn't just born into the right family like King Charles, so it's just passed down. That's just the way it is in tradition. Jesus is unique in every way. But one of, one of his, his kind of qualifying traits, if you like, was the humility that he demonstrated. So Philippians 2, 8 to 9, those famous verses, but listen to where they end up in the ascension. Being found in human form, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the depth of humanity, God becoming man, death on a cross, and then the next words, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So our response to this, the only response is like Jesus to respond in humility. This means to humble ourselves before the one who has full authority and power and glory in every circumstance and situation of our life. Easy to do when everything's going your way, more of a challenge when it isn't or when things are going on that are difficult and that question or challenge the authority and power of Jesus. And so our call is to be like Job, who's an example of someone who went through all kinds of things, confusing things and losing much. But it says in Job 1, 22, that he did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. He trusted God. He, he refused to curse God because of what was rolling out in our lives. So we're, we're called to humble ourselves and then we're called to imitate Christ and to live like that, that passage we just read actually says around that, to live in humility toward one another and it says to consider others better than ourselves. So if you've got a very high view of the ascended Christ and, a, and a, just a tiny little glimpse into the power and authority and glory he has, it should make us very humble. It should, it should lead us to consider others better than ourselves and to live like Jesus did because that's how he lived. He lived in such a way as to try and prefer others and lift others up. Yet, he, he was and is the one, he was moving towards a place where it would have been very easy for him to say, don't you know who I am? I deserve more than this. I've humbled myself enough now. I'm sick and tired of going through this. I don't really need to take it and, I've, and I'm, I'm innocent but yet he humbled himself all the way through and out the other side. So it should lead us to, to deep humility. So God, may we get an insight into, into your power and your authority and, and glory, because that, that will help us, help us, Lord. We want help in our work, in our families, in the way we respond to things, the way we talk, the way we deal with situations. 
that are kicking off around us. And then it will lead us to confidence. So we've got to have humility in order to be confident. Otherwise, you might be confident in the wrong thing or overconfident or, or come across as arrogant, confident in yourself or thinking, I'm confident because I'm following the one who's got all power and all authority. So, yeah. Do you know who I am? But we already know it should lead to humility like Christ, but confidence is in there as well. So it's, it's not humility that's downtrodden and miserable and everyone else is better than me and I don't deserve anything. It's a humility that, that knows your position in proportion to the one that you serve. So you know that and God says you can come with confidence, whatever your need, confident in him, and we don't cling to the earthly Jesus, we cling to the ascended Jesus. And there's a lovely image of this, John 20 verse 17, when Jesus is raised from the dead, so back this left-hand side of the circle, he's alive during that period and Mary comes to him, finds him, and what does she do? She holds on to him and she says, Jesus, you know, she's obviously excited, he's alive, he's here, yes! And what does he say? He says, do not hold on to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers, the disciples, and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So he's, he's quickly thinking about the ascension. He's like, it's not, hang on, don't hold me here. I'm not staying here. I'll be here for 40 days, 40 nights. Uh, in the car, someone was joking. I wonder if he was counting down how many sleeps he had till he descended, 35, 34, 33. But he's got his eyes on the ascension uh, because he's saying to her and to us, look, it's better that I go because if I don't hit that point there, the ascended Christ, it's not going to be quite so good. I want to be pouring out the Holy Spirit. It's better I go. And how many times have we thought to ourselves, I'd love to... Just sit down with Jesus in the flesh. You know, part of you thinks, I wish it wasn't 40. I wish it was 4,000 years. Then he'd be here and you might be able to book an appointment, have an hour with him, even 10 minutes. And you just come with a couple of questions and you, he, he'll sort, sort it out and ask you or he'll heal you if you can just get there. He would have done that if that was a better way to do it. But it wasn't. He said, I'm going to ascend. And so don't hold on to the earthly Jesus where it's like you just get time with him and you get all the answers you want. If you can get in a room with him, he'll do it all for you there. He's ascended and he's poured out the Holy Spirit. And now he says, come and approach the throne of grace with boldness and confidence because I'm on the throne and it says we have a great high priest. This is in Hebrews 4, 16, who sympathizes with our weakness. So he's gone up, high power and authority, but he sympathizes. He knows what it's like. And he says, come with confidence into the throne room, no matter who you are, where you've come from, what you've done, what you're going through. Come in and you will find grace that will help you as you press through this life which we know has got the taints of death all over it. He will give us grace and his spirit in the midst of it. So confidence to come to Jesus and confidence that he has authority over our greatest enemies. Whatever holds us down or has held us down, Christ has authority over them. Sin and all its effects, he's got authority over that. He's already dealt with it. 
It's lost its sting, which is death, the final enemy, as it were, to be finally cast out. But he's already, over, he's already overwhelmed it and defeated it because he's come through it and out the other side. So he says, I'm through, I'm done. It's done, it's finished, and we're all following after him. And so he has authority over our life and our death, authority to forgive sins. Mark 2 verse 10, Jesus said it when he was walking around on earth. He says, yeah, I can heal. And the religious people said, not on a Sunday you can't, or not on a Saturday you can't, holy day. And then he said, just to prove that I can heal, and also what I just taught you in that I can forgive sins, I will heal him. But it's in order to prove that I can forgive sins. So it's like he's saying, I can heal, but the greater healing is the forgiveness of sins, and I can pronounce it over you. And so we can come confident to the throne of grace that no matter what your sin is and my sin is, and what you've done, and probably two of you in the last year have done a sin, maybe three in the room, don't matter what it is, you can come with confidence because you're coming to the ultimate authority. It's not like there's a higher God who might say, actually, I don't like what you're doing out of the way. No, that's a bad sin. You're not getting off that one. There is no higher power or authority. So you come to him, connected to him by the Spirit, and you, t- you take hold of him. You receive grace in your time of need and forgiveness. There's confidence in that. And so as we get hold of that and understand it, it should thrill us and make us happy that we know where to go. We're not burdened anymore. Don't have to be burdened with it. You can go somewhere. You haven't got to work your way out of it because you can't. It's not just try harder. It's come and keep receiving grace. How good is that? In the last couple of days, those of you that are, have read theological books or have kept your eyes on the Christian news might have come across the news that Tim Keller uh, passed away. Does anyone know Tim Keller? He's a, an American pastor and author. He's, he's been quite a statesman uh, in the church in the last few decades and uh, kind of transcends a lot of different movements and denominations, actually. But, you know, brilliant author, pastor, missional thinker. And he passed away in his 70s a couple of days ago. And, uh, and, 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 and this is obviously great news because we know where he's gone. But it reminded me of years ago of reading um, and listening to one of his CDs. And, uh, and it reminded me of just the reality of this truth that, we've got a great high priest and that I know where to go and it can, it can fill me with joy uh, where I had an experience of that, uh, probably in like the 2006, something like that, and I remember listening to one of his CDs and it had such a massive impact on me, I felt like I was filled with joy for about two weeks. It was like I'd go to bed with it, wake up with it, and it was, and, and it was, the, it was the gospel. It was him explaining the gospel in a different way. And then a bit later, um, I had to do an essay on it when I was at Bible college on a, on a particular theme, and I referred to it. I looked it out, and this is what I wrote in one of my essays. I said this, I'd been out playing sport one evening, and as I was driving there, see, I am fit, but it was only table tennis, actually, at the time. <laughs> used to play. Joel used to play there, I remember. Um, I was playing sport one evening, and as I was driving there and back, I was listening to a teaching CD. That's how long it was, a CD. 
post tape by Tim Keller. It was about 10.30 at night, and as I pulled up outside my house, Keller had begun to unpack the gospel in a manner that I'd not heard before, and I was so gripped that I sat in the car and kept listening. It was like being given a new lens to view things through. Keller talked about the gospel being not just the ABC, but the A to Z of the Christian life, and how it's not accurate to think the gospel is what saves you, And then what matures Christians is trying hard to live according to biblical principles, but rather how we are saved by believing and receiving the gospel. And then we are transformed in every part of our mind, our heart and our life by believing the gospel more and more deeply as our life goes on. I'd not thought about sanctification in those terms before and it caught my attention as Keller unpacked how the 16th century reformer Martin Luther's fundamental insight was that a principle of religion is the deep default mode of the human heart. In other words, religiously trying to do everything yourself and how our hearts keep working this way. They try to work this way even after we're converted to Christ. But for Martin Luther, this principle of religion was I obey, therefore I'm accepted. And so even though we embrace the gospel on one level, we're actually returning to a mode of self-salvation in practice. Church leaders can easily derive their joy and everyone else too and significance from their ministries and the approval of others. And Keller went on to explain that at root, the religious principle is in operation. If I do and accomplish all these things, then I will be accepted. The lights really went on for me and over the next few minutes, strangely, it felt like I was hearing the gospel again for the first time or being born again, again. I was filled with emotion, tears, laughter and a sense of release for a few days. I felt like I was on an emotional high. And I I remember that experience and it was just hearing the gospel. There's nothing new to be added. It's getting hold of the truth of what Jesus has already Done. So we can be confident in that and we should grow in confidence in that because we know therefore that nothing is out of control because we're confident in life and in death and in all circumstances because Jesus has power and authority over it all. Tim Keller, he said a couple of days ago, May the 17th, he said this, I'm thankful for all the people who've prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for those that have been around me and love me. I'm thankful for the time that God has given me. But I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. And so there's something of Jesus' desire as he was being ascended. That we're, that's, that's something of what we're doing. We're not ascending in quite the same way, but we are ascending. We've already ascended in him. We've been raised up and seated in heavenly places. And so we're going to all move. We're all going to move at some point in the twinkling of, a, of an eye from this place to the next place. And it's glorious. We should be super excited and happy about that. We really, really should. And then it's empowering, and I won't, I won't really dwell on this one because this is next week. So from that place of ascension, then, we are empowered. Pentecost, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. We share the gospel because, Jesus says, all power and authority has been given to me, Matthew 28, therefore go into the world. And so because he's up there, we go, we live 
But it's on our way to that completion, as Jesus found as well. It's temporary. And Jesus said, don't build all all your homes down here, but invest in eternity. I've gone ahead to prepare. Jesus himself was prepared. He was prepared and has gone. That's where we're going. So the more excited we are about where he is, where he dwells, where the power and authority is flowing from, the more it fills us with humility and confidence on this earth. Because this earth doesn't have anything on us. Nothing. We're passing through. And that then leads to an invitation to the world. And the ascended Christ is the one who's still making the invitation. So we'll finish with this by saying the invitation's here this morning that you have to say yes to this. If you've been away from Jesus, you have to say, I'm coming back. I'm coming home. If you've never come to Jesus at all, then you have to say, I want this because this earth is not my home and I want to get in quick. I want to start receiving this grace and being filled with this Holy Spirit. This is what the disciples did. They explained all this after Pentecost, the pouring out of the Spirit. Peter stood up and he explained it all to those that were looking on, wondering what had happened. And he actually said, he, he referred to the ascended Jesus and he said, and this is the promised Holy Spirit. Therefore, what you have to do is repent Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive this promised Holy Spirit. And it's for for you and your children, all those that are far off in the future, 2,000 years later today, in another place, and for all whom God will call. Does anyone need to respond to that call today? Yes, today is the day. Today is the day. So we're going to finish there. We'll, we'll worship perhaps as we finish, if that's all right, worship team. And then if you need to respond, now's the moment in your heart, but you can respond tangibly as well. There's going to be a prayer team available down there where the prayer banner is on the left. And so this is a moment to say, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I respond and I receive. I'm coming to that throne of grace.